Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. And my co-host might think I'm 75. You know, I'm only in that 40 range. But Mung, how you doing, man? I mean, it's I'm excited to chop it up with our guests on, but what's going on with you? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I've got uh, a lot of stuff over at Fantrax dropping, updated Dynasty rankings, some buys before free agency, which... Starts in just a few short weeks. I mean, it's kind of crazy that it's March already, but, uh, you know, the off season is anything but boring when we're talking about the NFL. Absolutely. And for you guys that are not watching on YouTube, they obviously know who's going on. But you guys might know him from Football Guys or his work from Under the Helmet, the writer of Analytics to Dynasty. He has been on for our 50th episode, which people say is our golden anniversary. Now it's our 75th episode, which is, I had to look this one up, is the Diamond Jubilee anniversary, because honestly, who's married for 75 years? But, <laughs> welcome to the show, Jordan McNamara. How you doing? It's much more sophisticated than anything I'm offering, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got some deeper stuff, man, and I'm excited. Now, talk to me a little bit, you, we were talking a little bit, your dynasty of analytics for 2022 is a little bit different, right? This is your third year? writing the book fourth fourth year i missed out fourth on that year. first one so yep. fourth year talk to me a little bit about the evolution of from when you first started to where you're at now because it's like i remember hearing about it at first when i was you know listening under under the helmet all the time mm-hmm. and you and chad talking i was like i gotta check this out and i know mm-hmm. every year you've been adding more things to it and now mm-hmm. it's even different this year yeah so it's interesting like the first one i wrote i i just it was going to be a one-off kind of evergreen was just going to be what it was and that was what i was going to do and it was going to be done and so I didn't plan on a second one. I didn't plan on any it being a series. I just planned on it being one. Um, and so, like, it, it has very much evolved from that to, hey, let's try to do something different each year. Um, and so, you know, this is, I think it's a little bit more, um, you know, different Different books focus on different things. And it's always stuff that interests me throughout the year. You know, I'm, I'm formulating stuff that I'm going to write for the next one right now. You know, just stuff that interests me that ends up becoming a topic. Uh, but this one very much became, I don't know if confessional is the right word, um, but it very much became uh, about kind of the dynasty journey that I've taken in terms of like, here's a lot of the mistakes that I made. Don't do this. This yeah. is, I guess, the the simplest way to do it um, would, you know, if, if everything were to fall under one umbrella, I'd say that's it. Um, you know, a lot of stuff at quarterback, um, a lot of stuff in team building. Um, yeah, I, I actually... I've been working on this thing for like three or four years now called the hierarchy of assets that I finally actually put in the book. Um, And it kind of teaches you about like what matters in dynasty, which is elite players matter, right? Elite players, players that are difference makers, players that can score a lot of points. And which is very similar to, uh, you know, where I steal a ton of ideas from is the NBA. It's very similar in terms of the, in terms of all the the structures and and the, the roster sizes and the players and the, you know, and, and the yeah. basically like kind of the range of outcomes on, on players as well. And some of the slopes and stuff that you look at, right. It's very similar. And so what, what do we see in, in there? Like stars make a huge, huge difference, huge difference. Oh yeah. If you don't um, get a top five, six guy, you're not going anywhere. Right. And it's, you know, and it's the funny, the funny thing is like, you know, a lot of the analytics dynasty subscribers, you know, we've got a group, we've got a uh, group chat and, um, you know, and, and we talk a lot about the 76ers, a bunch of 76ers fans in there. And, you know, we talk a lot about their strategy because Daryl Morey and, you know, and, and the like. And, um, you know, one of the quotes that he said that I've five years ago, Jordan wouldn't have thought this way. Um, but now I definitely do, which is, you know, if his, his motto with making the trade for James Harden was if you don't have two top 15 players, nothing else that you do matters. And when you think that way in Dynasty, that really changes your outcomes. It's not necessarily top 15. The numbers change a little bit, but if you're not right, we spend too much time dealing with, you know, I haven't even started rookie coverage yet. Like literally today was the first podcast that I covered. Why? Because 
like the odds that they make a huge difference are pretty low. Like let's focus on things that make a huge, huge difference. And that's really what we've been focusing on, you know? So that's the sort of stuff that I think is very different than what I would have done three, four years ago. Um, and, and honestly it came kind of together in a, in a fun chapter that I wrote. I had a lot of fun writing it, um, called the confessions of a product of a reforming productive struggler. Yeah. And it's about all the mistakes that I've made along the way. Um, and things that I do now and why I sort of reject the idea that you should intentionally not try to win. Um, you know, and, and I think that that very much has shaped kind of the analytics of dynasty, at least present. And I, I think how, where we aim into the future in terms of looking at it, in terms of team building and stuff, it's very different than it has been. Um, and I think for the better. Yeah. And I think I think the nicest part is being able to admit those mistakes and do them for the listeners, you know, and that's one thing that Mung and I try to do is like, I got into doing this because my first year and a half of Dynasty was a struggle and a half, right? Yeah. Trading picks for nothing, trying to move up, doing these things. And it's like, we're trying to, I mean, if you're getting into the Dynasty game now with so much content out there, as opposed to when I was five, six years ago, mm-hmm. like the, the guys that come into trades now, they're all pretty sharp, you know, but like five, six right. years ago when Dynasty was really starting to evolve, it was like, you could really take advantage of some things on the draft board if you knew what you were doing. And and I, I think it's great that you've evolved on how you're doing those things and that you're putting that out there because I, I think early on in Dynasty, not many people were talking about it where, you know, when we talk about it all the time, if you're not top three or bottom three, you're losing in Dynasty. You know, mm-hmm. like you need to be in those areas. And if you're not doing that, you're, you're in that productive struggle, right? You're not like putting yourself anywhere where you should be. You know what I mean? Right. So, it's interesting too because like I I have evolved on that right because I used to be like I either want to be in an extreme or I want to not be, um, and I've just been doing a lot of stuff. I think we don't know, as I sit here right now, and I've had this happen, and I think that we, you know, I, I have shipped teams off too early, right? And yeah. I tried to, and I actually wrote about this in the book where I spent all off season last year trying to trade away my guys on a team that ended up being second in the league and scoring by about by like. 30 points, right? Like it was like really close to being the best team in the league. Um, and I spent all off season trying to ship them off. Right. But it, it all broke well, right? Like it, it, not all of it, but like everything, you know, everyone performed kind of to expectations. And the, the problem that I had as I looked at the roster was like, I don't like players, you know, 10 through 25. And, you know, so as a result, I'm going to sell Devonte Adams. Well, that's a really stupid thing to do. Right. Because Devonte Adams matters way more than players 10 through 25. Right. Like, and so that's the thing that I've, I've really come to embrace. Like, you know, if like a few horses can drag you a long way, like if you have two elite quarterbacks, like you should be contending for a buy, right. Almost by like, if you're not, um, you know, it's, it's almost accidental to make the playoffs with, with two elite quarterbacks. Like that's how much of a difference that they can make. Yeah. And, and so, if you're doing startups I, I, now, I mean, yeah. it is, it is, I mean, Mung, you can attest to this if you've done any. We're, we started Smash 3 two weeks ago, finished that one up. Smash 4 is starting this week. And what you notice is if you don't go up and grab two of those guys in your first two rounds, you know, you see guys aggressively, you know, they have the 105, but they're aggressively trying to move from two, you know, their second round pick yep. to 108 to get that other guy because they yep. want. You know, they want Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray because it's such a positional advantage. Like, especially right now, this is a time in Dynasty where it's like there is a top six or seven, maybe eight quarterbacks, and then there's some young guys, and then it falls off pretty hard for a couple of rounds here, and that's something we're definitely seeing a lot of. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, some of the stuff that I've done in the this book in particular has been really focused on, like, so uh, the profiles at quarterback are such a, are such a big deal. And you can look back last year about about like uh, Lawrence is a good example of this. And you put him at what his cost was last year. You just can't pay that cost. No. You just can't because what you're the problem with paying a cost like that for a quarterback that hasn't done it yet. He's so far behind in terms of what you would project in terms of production over the next five years about guys that have done it once or even you know guys that have done it multiple times, right? And I sort of I try to lay that out in the book in a way that like kind of don't make this mistake i don't think we've learned from it because he i think he's less expensive but he's still like too expensive right he's still going ahead of guys like i mean just think of the consequences of what would have happened if you had traded 
Lawrence last year for Stafford plus like the plus was at least a first round pick probably more than that it was probably closer to two whether that second one was in a player or another form um and in startups I mean he went he was in one of mine where he went 107 you know in in the startup before he played and that was at the time that was above uh you know it was above Dak Prescott that was above Justin Herbert that was above I mean that was above some really you know big time talent Right. And even it was probably above Joe Burrow. And and like I have my own questions about Joe Burrow, uh, but like at least Joe Burrow had showed us something. Right. He just passed the like the what I think people don't under uh, they underestimate is just the the bar of getting over like, hey, this quarterback isn't going to throw up on himself like in the middle of the football field is not insignificant. Like it's that that like jump from college to the pros is actually bigger then we give it credit for, and we, you know, we hype these guys up. We spent four months talking about them, right? We've been talking about Trevor Lawrence forever. Um, and right. And nothing really goes well. Like it, that's not uncommon. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I think we make mistakes at quarterback, especially at a, like, you can't do that. Like if you wanted to have a contending dynasty team long-term, you can't make those mistakes. And that's kind of like, and I have done it. So it's a lot of, you know, discover all the a lot of the chapters, like the secret of the analytics of dynasties. Like, here's stuff that I've screwed up over the past five years. Now I got to try and figure out a way to fix it, and not yeah. I write about it. Like, it's not. It's it's. I'm a terrible poker face in terms of the <laughs> topics that I choose. No, we're we're perfect now that we're talking about quarterbacks because I wanted to segue into that. I mean, we've talked about profiles, and we had you know five quarterbacks go in the first round mm-hmm. of last year's draft. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, and Mung, I know, is is super passionate about Trey Lance, you know, and I'm a, I'm mm-hmm. a, a Fields guy in there. Talk to me a little bit about the draft capital of those guys, because we've talked about draft capital and how much that matters with the quarterbacks, and and their their situation a little bit, right? Because it's like right now, if you look at a startup, you know, I just did one where Trey Lance goes at the end of the first, early second, Fields goes in the second, Lawrence goes in the second. Mac Jones in the third, and, and then Zach Wilson kind of goes in the fifth. So talk to me a little bit, and then Mung has to also chime in on those guys about what kind of future you see with those guys and what we've seen in the past for players that, you know, because aside from, I mean, Mac Jones had the most productive season there, but what do we see from those kind of guys? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think you, you break it down a little bit in terms of, you know, I split the round in half. Um, in this book, I, I split it down even a little bit more, especially in some research. Um, I think you I think to some degree, the top, you know, the picks 11 through 20 are different than picks 21 through 32 in the quarterback position, right? Mm -hmm. There's not, you start splitting hairs that much. There's, there's not a lot of sample size. So you got to be careful about doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think like you definitely see projects later on in the first round. So they, they are very different. The quarterbacks that land there Um, and this, this class too, like, if five guys land in this class and you're pick 30, like that's a disaster, right? That as opposed to, um, you know, in a class like last year where, you know, Mac Jones was the fifth pick off and he was 15 right behind, mm-hmm. behind four guys that went in the top 11, right? Like yeah. that's a, that's a very big difference in terms of what that tells about a player. So that's, I think the one thing, I mean, I look at like these top 10 guys um, and I, you look at it and it's, you know, for the first three years of their career, it's about a 60, 40 odds, um, 60% chance that they hit for a top 12 seasonal finish, about 40% that they don't. Um, I think one of the things with that that you have to keep in mind is where their startup cost is, because the difference between a quarterback that hasn't done it and the quarterback that has done it, um, whether that's one hit or even better two hits it's such a massive difference in terms of your expectations. So for, I'll give you an example. If Justin Fields and uh, Matthew Stafford are going next to each other in a startup draft, there's, um, you know, if you do that, right, in, in across 10 dynasty leagues or 50 dynasty leagues or how many dynasty leagues you're in, and you have that choice and you do that, you take the, the Stafford profile over the Fields profile, you're going to be so far ahead uh, over the course of that, uh, over the course of time, that you're just going to be a constant contender, right? I think what gets in our way of being consistent producing teams is that we we choose a lot of times we choose the suboptimal thing because it feels better. Right? We think that there's more outs on fields. We think we think these things, but in reality, both the mean, right, the median, everything that you, you sort of look at in terms of like, hey, what can we expect for this? It's lower for fields. 
right? It is lower for fields. And it's just, and even the value thing, right? I've actually looked at the, because the, the argument would be like, hey, you know, fields is more insulated in value. That's actually not true either, which was super surprising. Um, you know, when because when you start looking at some of these guys, you compare Stafford to Fields, and it's like a decade difference, more than that, in terms of their age. You think, wow, there's no chance. Actually, historically, the guys that haven't done it have still gotten hurt more um, on the value perspective than the older guys, which is totally counterintuitive to me. I did not expect that to be the result of that. Yeah, that's kind of shocking to me, too. Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I feel like you, you as well, Mung, because we're always trying to, to preach that you know, move up and get that. And I, I think the one thing from what I'm hearing from you say is, is definitely looking at things where I remember last year you were talking, we talked a lot about Josh Jacobs where people were out on him, but they weren't paying attention to the profile. They were more paying attention to their heart, right? Like, Oh, Josh Jacobs isn't good, but they weren't paying attention to his, his age and the fact that he did it two years in a row and where he was drafted and those things. And so I feel like three years in a row, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. A, and it was, recurring cycle, right? and it was the same thing again, but right. people are still down on Josh Jacobs. So it's right. like, there's that emotion versus the profile and we're trying to, and I feel like a lot of times when you're, you're analyzing these things, I mean, you're looking at raw data, you're trying to say, we're trying to use our head here, not just our heart. Right. And like right. do those kind of moves. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's funny because someone, you know, you see these things where people will say, you know, um, will say things very emotionally based it, I'm not faulting them, but they'll say, you know, Oh, it's a, it's a bad scheme in Baltimore. Well, what team dropped back to pass the most in the NFL last year? It was actually Baltimore, which is totally surprising. But when you start looking at things and you say, okay, well, well, how did a breakout like Mark Andrews happen? Well, all that happened was like they went from not running him on a huge percentage of their dropbacks to running them on basically all of their dropbacks or most of their dropbacks and dropping back to pass a lot more like that combination. And he's basically the same player in terms of how he produced on a per route basis. But you start looking at these things and you can identify clear patterns, right? You can identify patterns like that. And it's, you know, that, that Andrews pattern, like that's something to look for. Right. And so, um, you know, then you look at other ones, like I think the, the biggest disservice that we do is we pay up for young wide receivers because what happens is we're paying for longevity. We're paying for kind of the hope of the future, but it's really difficult to go from, to go from good or even very good to elite is very difficult. That's a big leap. And you, if you are paying an elite cost for someone to do that, like it's, it's a very, for someone that hasn't done it yet, CD lamb, you know, as, as the guy that comes to mind in this, when you pay that price, like, just think of what the difference last year would have been if I had told you, like, hey, I have C.D. Lamb and I want to trade you C.D. Lamb for your Brandon Cooks. Like, what would you have had to pay? It's probably multiple firsts, right? That's probably how big the gap was. And they finished a point different, not a point per game, one PPR point different between the two of them, right? And you start looking at these things and you say, all right, well, why, you know, why do we sort why are we doing that, right? We're, to me, I think that's a, you're, you're probably misallocating resources. I could have done a lot of other things with that. With that pick you know i could have done with those picks right i could have traded for an elite quarterback right i could have done you know i could have you know with that instead of taking trevor lawrence i could have traded trevor lawrence and one of those picks or maybe both of those picks for mahomes and i would have gladly done that. you know what mm -hmm. i mean so you start looking at, at ways to build a roster and what's the most effective way um it's just a lot of that stuff is i think the profiles that we should be looking at more so than even the players that they reflect Mung, I know you definitely got some things to say on that. I mean, you, we've, we've let you, you've kind of been super patient in there. I want you to chime in a little bit about some of that because I think for our listeners, a lot of that's going to gonna be like when you talk Stafford and Fields and you do some of those kind of things. Hit me up with what your instant analysis on that is. Yeah, and really, you know, I've discussed this, this at length before, how my strategy on quarterbacks, particularly in Dynasty, has changed over time where – um, two of the big things that I look at with quarterbacks are, one, I think that landing spot matters a lot more for quarterbacks than it does for running backs and wide receivers. Uh, in that, I mean, look at a guy like Josh Allen, right, who was super mm -hmm. raw coming out. A lot of people were down on him, but the physical tools were there. And then when you paired him with McDermott and a good organization in Buffalo, I mean, he just really developed, and now he's one of the elite quarterback options in fantasy. Now, compare that to, say, a Daniel Jones who landed in the Giants with Joe Judge and, and that whole mess, and I, I won't even go too far down that rabbit hole. 
Um, but just imagine if those two things had been flipped, right? I think they were a year apart in they were different draft classes, but let's just say for the sake of argument that Daniel Jones, who did have a good season in college before he came out and who, you know, for all intents and purposes, looked like he was a good prospect. If he had been able to go to Buffalo and if Josh Allen instead had landed with the Giants with really no organizational support, how different would their career arcs look today? Um, so that that's one of the reasons why uh, I ended up bumping Trey Lance to my 101 over Trevor Lawrence last year uh, was because of the whole Urban Meyer, Kyle Shanahan factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you look at it, I mean, Lance is the only one in a positive situation other than Mac Jones. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Will to the Jets, we got Lawrence on the Jaguars, we got Fields with the Bears, with Matt Nagy. And that, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and so I want to get Jordan's thoughts on that, but also and here's where I think maybe our strategies might uh, differ a little bit because going back to your thoughts on Stafford versus a guy like Fields, right? Um, my second point for quarterbacks specifically in Dynasty are that at this point, given what the league is showing and based on how fantasy points are scored, I want guys who can run, Right. Because to me, I almost don't care in the short term whether or not Fields or Lance are even good passers. Um, ultimately, that's going to you know, get them benched over the course of two, three, four years. But when they're a highly drafted rookie, those organizations aren't going to bench them for a, a bad stretch of games or even a bad season, really. And during those seasons, you know, look at guys from 2021, right? like Taysom Hill and even Cam Newton, who's absolutely awful, but they both put up, you know, top 10, top five fantasy performances from a weekly perspective, simply because of what they can do on the ground. So that that's something that I've been targeting a little bit more. Um, so I'd love to get Jordan's thoughts on those two points. Yeah. I mean, I'd start with the quarterback thing. I mean, if you look at the top nine quarterbacks, they all threw for uh, 4,200 yards or more. The only one that didn't do that was Aaron Rodgers, and he threw for 37 touchdowns. So, you know, everyone else is is basically, um, you know, in, in terms of total points last year. And again, maybe you, it's tough to count that against a guy like Lamar Jackson who was hurt, right? But I think that that's, um, you know, that's the thing. I actually looked at this because I was fascinated by this. Um, about the percentage of quarterback points scored by rushing points, right? So, like, what portion of quarterback points are actually scored, whether it's rushing yards or rushing touchdowns? And it has gone up massively. Um, and it has gone up, you know, the, basically the trend line for, you know, top 12 scores, like, in 2008 was right about 6%. It's now up to about 14%, right? So that's – I. I you know, it has gone up more than double, basically. Um, for top six quarterbacks, it's gone up even farther, you know, from just under 6% to, you know, just over 15%. So it's even a steeper inc- increase. I wonder, my my suspicion would be that it's going to cap out at some point, right? And I think, um, I actually looked at it for this year and it did come back down, right? It looked a little bit much more, you know, below the line where it was going, Um I just couldn't include that in the book because, you know, I, I ran out of time. I, I have to finish it at some point. Um, and I wrote it before the season ended. So, um, but you look at it like it came back down a little bit. So you think, okay. But also the other thing too is as these younger quarterbacks that are, um, you know, rushing centric. I mean, Josh Allen, Josh Allen's probably a good example of this. If Josh Allen is probably locked himself into being the Bills quarterback for the next, I don't know, decade, we'll just say using a round number. Um, he's going to run less, right? He just yeah. is, right? He's going to, he's going to, right? You're the shots that you want to take at 23 aren't the ones that you want to take um, at 33 or 30, right? You know, it's, you know, you have, you start, you know, you get married and have kids and all of a sudden, like, you don't want to wake up feeling like that anymore. So you throw the ball away, right? I mean, it's not, it, this, we see this, right? So that's the one thing. It's as these guys age, I think they'll still be, um, you're not going to have, you're right. They're, they're, gonna that's gonna level off a little bit what i would say would be that um you know and the other thing too is i I, like i i think to get from you can sustain fantasy success rushing but you need to be an elite player you need to pass right i think that's the thing 
um, is you need to do right to be a consistently um, elite quarterback. You need to do you can do both, which is great, but you need to be able to pass. And if if you look at guys like Allen, right, if Allen hadn't taken the step, Allen was a really good runner the first two years. Right? What put him on, you know, in a in a strata that with the top two or three quarterbacks in the league was the fact that he became an unpredictably better passer, right? I don't think anyone would have, even the most, my college roommates, the most optimistic Buffalo Bills fan I've ever known. And even him on his happiest day wouldn't have predicted the the growth that Allen took, you know? So um, uh, that's ultimately what takes you up that high. Um, and I do, so I do think the rushing stuff matters, but you got to remember the passing stuff is like more than 80% of it. Right. So when you look at those things, I, I, I do think, you know, but that's why like a guy like Mac Jones has a cap ceiling. Right. I think you have to sort of know that um, when you take a guy like Mac Jones, you have to have kind of a, a plan in place about what you're going to use him for. Um, and and, you know, but but when you look at the just the pure numbers of it, you just take the ADPs and you look at their prior experiences, a guy like Stafford, a guy like Russell Wilson. Like it, it's a lot, it's a ton of risk for not the historically, not the upside that we necessarily project for guys that haven't done it yet. Just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of danger in that zone. Yeah. I guess it's, my point was I play more like two, three year windows. So mm-hmm. like even had, um, not Stafford, had Josh Allen not developed like he did as a passer, right? Mm-hmm. You had those two, three years where he was still putting up monster fantasy points you know, as a rookie, as a sophomore, when he was still making some dumb mistakes and throwing those interceptions where you could have flipped him at any point during that period mm-hmm. for Stafford and multiple first round picks, right? In super flex formats. Um, so I, I guess for me, I'm looking at this, like when I'm talking about a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields, where these organizations that invested these high picks in them, like they would have to be truly awful for them to get benched at any point in the next two years and as long as they're healthy for that duration, you know, and they're running, they're putting up top 12 fantasy seasons. Yeah, the floor is definitely there for those guys and, and the ceiling. But I, I understand what, what both of you guys are saying there for sure. But and, and the other thing I would say, too, is like when you look at Stafford, I mean, he finished fifth last year. Right. So, I mean, this isn't like it, that's it's not like it's it's a tough it's tough to get there right fields didn't get there you know lance didn't play we could talk, we could debate why that was lawrence didn't right i mean i think we the rushing stuff certainly helps it absolutely does but you need to do both to sort of get to the elite difference making tier and there's a lot of risk but on not doing it there's a lot of risk on the guys that haven't done it yet um surprisingly so in my num in the numbers which has made me really change about how i thought because i was a big young quarterback guy i mean i made the mayfield at quarterback free mistake that year right and that's something again where does this stuff come from it comes from all the mistakes i've made and that's kind of one of those things where i said if i could go back and look at that what do my odds look like and i i spent a couple of minutes after I built the graph looking back at that data from where Mayfield went that year. And it was just kind of like, you know, in a puddle on my desk being like, how could I have made this mistake? And, you know, and that's Carson kind of, before him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, if you don't, you know, it's, it's a very, very, you know, and, and we do this, right. The young quarterback thing, it happens, right. Bri- I went back and I looked at startup just Bridgewater, Tannehill, like all these guys, like sort of in the, in that first, second year kind of window, um, you know, we, we can get pitched for all of them. And then, you know, it, they kind of ca- can cap out a little bit. I think that that last class is pretty good. Um, but I, again, I think that they were probably as a class over overvalued versus where their startup costs were. Well, I saw a tweet that you had recently, and I think you were just like, hey, ask me anything. You know, and the guy was saying something where along the lines of, I think, believe he had Lawrence and Trey Lance and, and maybe Zach Wilson. He had a, a bunch of these young quarterbacks. And, and your response was, looks like it's time to make a push for Mahomes or Allen. You know, right. and, and and I think that's that's a great idea where you, you, you have the value because, I mean, we, pl- we talk trades all the time. So mm-hmm. if you're just looking at it as an asset, the asset Justin Fields or the asset Trey Lance in Dynasty is worth more than Matthew Stafford. Now you're saying we could, you know, Stafford is going to be someone that's going to give us those points. But if you can move up and you can get those guys that have already shown they're going to do it, those guys that are in that upper echelon or move there, you're saying that that area right now, that second round of startups, those quarterbacks, that's some risky business. Oh, it's incredibly risky business. And, you know, and I I go back to trades that, and I I did this in the book. 
Um, and it was, uh, you know, looking at, I, I, there was a, I was way out on Trevor Lawrence because I just said the cost is just, he can't, it's almost impossible to, to live up to that. Uh, and one of the things that I did last year that I, I didn't do in years past, which was um, something that I, I think is important is when you see a player like Trevor Lawrence and the argument for him is his, he's got this great value, cash it out, <laughs> right? Because what you're doing is, is you're putting your, you're taking an asset on in Lawrence who so much of his cost is wrapped up in what people will think about him in the future. Mm-hmm. And versus a guy like Stafford who's a lot who cost a lot less right and you could have gotten multiple pieces for i mean i did a trade from i did actually two trevor lawrence based trade downs um at cousins i think i got andrews in it i mean i got picks right i got i got all sorts of stuff that ended up making me very competitive Mm -hmm. um future picks right i probably won't pick that you know i'll probably trade down again and get another future pick you know just keep doing i mean that trade will be cascading forever um with the the fact that I still have picks coming from it. Um, I think when you get guys that the argument for them, which I think the argument for them generally is at quarterback is, Hey, look, these, they've got really good future valuation. They're very insulated and all that stuff. That is code word for let the other person take that bet, right? Let them pay that. If, if you want to put that in savings, right? If someone else wants to use him for that purpose, let them, you take the cash out right now. And whether that's trading up for an elite guy, whether that's trading down for a productive guy, plus plus, right? Whether, however you want to craft that, there's a lot of ways to go. And I sort of detailed a lot of different ways to do it in the book. Do it because what you'll see is you'll find yourself competitive. And what we talked about at the, at the lead off of like, do you want to be either top three or bottom three, or you don't really want to be stuck in the middle? Actually, I actually don't mind being stuck in the middle, right? And it's something that I've changed a little bit because so many people are constantly not contending that if you just if you're one if you're just say hey i'm going to be in it right and i don't think long rebuilds are something that you really need to do um if you're just like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna be in it you know and i'm gonna keep working on my team i'm gonna try and contend this year and it's not ship every pick in right but it's hey like this year i'm focusing on trying to put the best team i can out there this year to win you're only competing against nine players to make the playoffs. It might be even less than that, right? Because Mm -hmm. especially with a good rookie class coming up, there's going to be guys that are, that are going to be trying not to make the playoffs that make the playoffs in some leagues. Like it's what's going to happen. So if you're sort of aiming at that, I think the the you're competing, right? If you're competing against nine other teams, you're putting yourself at an 11% shot, you know, and it's, it's already better, you know, just doing that is, better than a lot of the decisions you can make. So. I'm glad you brought up 2023 because we talk yeah. about that with everybody. And, and you, you have to because you're a guy that looks at, you know, analytic side of it. And we had on Jeff Bell. We had on, uh, you know, multiple guys where we had Matt Hicks on. They said there are seven guys in that 2023 class if they came out today, you know, who would go 101 above anybody that's in this area here. Now, the one thing we're seeing right now is in the past, you used to be able to trade into the first round and get, you know, get a future first plus. Now it's almost the opposite. I mean, we're seeing guys, we talked about it last week where I saw someone, they asked me, hey, should I trade the 103 for a random 23 first? Mm-hmm. You know, and we're talking about the values there. Talk to me a little bit about that because it seems very backwards of what we've done in the past. You know, we're, even in 2020, it was great thinking ahead, but the, we have such rookie fever. The guys that missed out on 2020 are like, yo, 2023, I got to get all these first right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if everyone's going to do something. One of the, I think the easiest thing in dynasty is to sort of exploit is if everyone's going to do something, there's value being on the other side of it, right? Just because there's so much uncertainty that we can't control. If everyone's operating from the same premise, just sort of rejecting that premise is probably, uh, you know, overall helpful, right? That's probably the better side to be on. Um, I think there's ways to do that. I mean, I wouldn't go, you know, I wouldn't go out and just sell uh, a 2023 first for, you know, a, like a fifth round startup pick, right? I want to be sort of tactical about it. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I like to do is kind of have an, I, I know that, and I, this is something that's totally changed too. And I wrote about this in the book um, this year, which is I wouldn't trade future picks before if i had done that before this year you know i I play in a lot of leagues if i had done that 
five times in the five years that I've been playing Dynasty. Five, or, well, actually, ten years that I've been playing Dynasty, but five I've been playing like that, like dozens of leagues. I would. I don't think I've done it five times. This year I did it multiple times, right? And it's because we we understand what the picks worth. I think the, um, you know, we understand the players that are kind of come back in that. I think mm-hmm. is a really important thing to know, which is what we talk about in the book. Um, and you know, I, I've I put a value on winning, right? And so if you do it right, you can sort of uh, you can optimize those things, right? So don't trade it for a situational thing. Like go make a big trade. We talked about it at the beginning, like like trade you know if you if you want to make that trade like if there's going to be buyers for picks and you're going to be surprised how many like elite players you're going to be able to get for a first round rookie pick like you might be able to get into the top uh you know 30 top 20 you know just just for that pick like Mm -hmm. you'd be surprised i think you're going to be surprised at that and when that's staring at you in the face, like you kind of have to be open to doing that, you know, and especially if it's a quarterback, I mean, especially if you can go up and get, you know, if you can add to, you know, uh, take a big leap up at quarterback, you know, I talk about the super max quarterback tier, like uh, the consequences of that are enormous. And if you can do that, right. For a future pick, especially if you kind of know it's not going to be early, right. If you get into your league and you're, Mm -hmm you know, you're three and two and you're fourth in points. Like you're probably going to be not one of the top picks. It's probably, you know, I, I give you some guidelines to look at how to sort of think about that decision. And it's probably going to be a playoff first, like with that sort of combination, you, that's what your odds would be. You can say, okay, like I can sort of push in that direction and do it. You know, if I'm one and four and you know, I I'm third in the third from the bottom of the league in points, like I'm not going to do that, but you sort of have a better idea, right? I would rather do that deal then. Um, and then do it now. But I think that that deal will be there um, and it'll be profitable, I think, um, because people were going to be wanting those picks, um, you know, and, and I, but again, I'm going big game hunting for those picks. I'm not going like, Hey, I'll give you it for an eighth round startup pick. Like, no, I'd rather send two of them for a top five guy. Right. Or, you yeah. know, in a, in a package like that, that's how I'm thinking about them um, more. So you know, as I go along, cause those opportunities are going to be there. They just will be. And I yeah. think you got to pounce when, when they, when, when, when they present themselves. Now you said super max, super flex. Who are, who are those guys like that? When you, you did, that was the terminology you used, right? You said super max. Yeah. Su- yeah. Yeah. So I, I stole the, again, I steal so much stuff from basketball. Um, I should send D- Daryl Morey and um, Sam Hinkie some royalty checks, but the um, I, I have a, t- so I have a tier of like the, all the players and it's kind of ways to think about them. Um, and it's, you know, it's based a lot on the odds and stuff like that, but I sort of break it down by some, just some minimal thresholds for you. But, but you look at quarterbacks and they're the big ones that really make a difference, right? They're the top, they're the guys that, that kind of have the elite production range. Right. And for me right now, there's five of them. Well, with a cut with one major caveat, it's Mahomes, it's Herbert, it's, um, uh, Allen, and then it's Dak Prescott. And then it's Watson, right? And so I think, right, if if Watson plays, right, he is clearly in that tier. I think if he plays, he's a top – the moment he steps back on a field, I think he's a top five dynasty quarterback. I think he's a top long five dynasty. I've been yes. saying that for a long time. Yeah. And even when it first happened, we're like, you can get him cheap, and it's just going to get cheaper. Now the people are starting to come back around on that a little bit. But it's like once he gets out there, yeah, he's top five. What about – what are Kyler and Lamar, do they fall – slightly under that for you and i mean a lot of people are up there on burrow as well yeah burrow's not burrow's burrow's like probably the most dangerous quarterback in all of dynasty right now based on his profile um i it's a that's a profile you can't take at the cost that he's at just because it's all based on i mean uh, him and just to give you an idea Dak prescott and joe burrow finished with the same points per drop back this year okay the exact same points per drop back i think it was like 0.39 or something like that don't quote me on that but it's the exact same number and um and Joe Burrow led the league in touchdown passes greater than 40 yards at 10. And I think, I think Dak had one or zero. Like it was very, it was like very, very low. Um, that kind of tells you all you need to know about their profiles, right? Like in a best case scenario, Burrow kind of matches what, what Dak does. And in a, in a worst case scenario, Dak floors him, right? I mean, that's, and I just use those two guys because they're going in the same kind of ballpark. And I've seen people taking Burrow over Dak. Like you just like that's a that's a yeah. 
I think a recipe for disaster. The so other that goes back to we're talking profile versus your heart, right? Thinking with yeah, your totally. head versus because who doesn't like unless you're a Cowboys fan, who doesn't like having Joe Burrow on their team instead mm-hmm. of Dak Prescott? But then when you think about it a little bit more, it's like it doesn't. It's not that one where you you talk about it because all of your friends are like, oh man, you got Joe Burrow because Burrow is going before Dak in every single draft right now. You yeah, know, and which I think just, is crazy. I, yeah. Like, if you look at the numbers of it, I think that it's just – like, that's – again, we talk about, like, sometimes it's not picking players that's, like – it's really hard to pick players. But it's really – it's I think if you go into it with, like, hey, here's the things I can't do. And then if I just sort of keep in mind, like, you know, it's, it's like golfing for me. Like, uh, all right, here's my goal. I'm going to try not to hit it in the woods, right? I might hit it the fairway. I might hit it in the rough. Like, I might hit it in the, in the sand trap. But if I don't hit driver, right, if I leave my driver in my bag, I know I can't reach the woods, right? So I'll hit my three wood and I can hit it wherever I want, but I'm not going to hit it in the woods and I'm going to be hitting my second shot instead of dropping it, right? That's kind of like what this is, right? Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pull out driver on every narrow, you know, par four and try and drive the green. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to do that, uh, which I think is a lot of what, you know, just leave it, the you know, hit it out and play. And then, you know, you're, you're trying to hit your next shot on the green, right? That's a lot of this is like, just don't make the stupid decision or don't make the, the, what you you have to be really careful of, and it's not a stupid, it's not necessarily stupid, but it, the the mistake that's made is people are betting off of high efficiency from last year, and that stuff regresses, right? So when you score a ton of touchdowns and when you score a ton of long touchdowns, everyone gets enamored by that, and it's compelling to watch. The problem is it's not necessarily repeatable, right? And so when you're betting on that, at, and and that's what happened, and you're betting on that to happen again, right? That's the mistake because you're it's it is really compelling to watch like jamar chase and joe burrow are fun to watch but that stuff isn't repeatable it just it just really is it's just really tough to repeat that either jamar chase is the best wide receiver that's ever played or he's going to regress like there's only one of there's two options um and i would bet you know that he's going to regress and so i think that burrow will regress and you sort of and and i think Dak had bad puck luck last year. And so you sort of combine those two and it's like, okay, one of these trains is going in one direction. One of them's going in the other. Which one do you want to be on? Like, I'd rather be on the one that I think is operating at a, you know, at its floor and going up rather than the one that's, you know, operating in the ceiling and going down. Uh, But to answer your question about Kyler and Lamar, I think if Lamar gets a contract extension, that'll, that'll probably put him in the, in my qualifications to be a super max. Um, I've been a little bit spooked by the fact that he keeps regressing as a passer. Um, that, that kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, and I've for Kyler, um, Kyler should qualify for my super max, but I don't put him there because I'm not comfortable with him. And I don't know exact. I mean, I, I've gotten confirmation this week that maybe I was kind of, my suspicions were right on some of that stuff. Um, uh, but I just had a really bad feeling about it. Just a, a way a lot of people were talking about him that I think had, were probably having private conversations that they weren't necessarily sourcing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just a lot of the, the commentary about him uh, was made it feel like it was, he was not necessarily, um, maybe the best teammate in the world and a lot of that, you know, and I think some of that stuff has come out, um, yeah. you know, that he, you know, and, you know, and the, I think the most damning thing that I've heard said about a quarterback in recent memory was when um, Steve Kime said to, you know, during the playoffs, Hey, this is the most that, uh, that Kyler Murray's been in the building preparing. And you're like, all right, you know, that guy's not preparing because no one knows that, right. No one knows that about Brady, right. No one knows yeah. that about Maul. <laughs> no one says anything because they're constantly, they're always prepared. Like no one says that. And so that stuff kind of spooked me. And now we've sort of gotten confirmation on that. So I'm skeptical on Kyler, even though he probably should qualify for my super max, but I just don't feel the same level of comfort as I do for the other guys. Makes sense. Uh, switching over to wide receiver. Cause that was another thing that you said there that, that kind of struck me as, what we don't think in dynasty, right? We mm. we push up all the young wide receivers. I mean, mm-hmm. Jamar Chase is going first round in startups right now, you know, and then some of the other young ascending wide receivers are just littered in that second and third round. And and you're saying at this point, you know, starting to look more towards the veteran wide receivers mm. in that same kind of thing as what we're talking about with Stafford versus Fields. Um, so the difference, but wide receiver, like. And this is, I, I always think of like, all right, if I'm going to try and pay, if I'm going to try and get like 
super max quarterbacks, like I like to call them, like the elite quarterbacks. Well, how do how am I going to sort of pay for that? Because it's mm-hmm. tough. You're going to have to. That's like two first round startup picks, right? And so you're going to have to do that in, in trades. You know, if you have one of them, I made him a homes trade. It was very costly, but you know, you have to think about how you're going to pay for that. And so if you're paying for it in a startup draft, right? I think the easiest way to to borrow from is wide receiver because you can replicate. You know, if 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 you're willing to look at the position a little bit differently in terms of what you value, you're, you're probably able to replicate a lot of the production. You know, we use the example of Brandon Cooks and C.D. Lamb earlier, right? I could have gotten Brandon Cooks at wide receiver 45 last year, and I would have had to pay a top five cost for C.D. Lamb, right? If I had used the pick for C.D. Lamb to trade up and take, you know, Allen or whoever, right? You know, one of the elite quarterbacks, I put myself in a massively advantageous spot, right? So that's kind of how I think about that. I don't want to necessarily be taking those guys in there because I don't think the difference between five and 25 at wide receiver isn't that, heck, the difference between three and 25 at wide receiver isn't really that big, right? And I think we, we, you know, there's a ton of variance in there, right? It comes down to a lot of, you know, who gets, who gets a lot of targets, which is what I look for. And then kind of who gets the good, you know, the good bounces on that, right? Who gets the good touchdown rates, you know, that sort of stuff. Like when, and that becomes a lot of what it is. So when you're investing high end wide receivers, right, especially young ones, especially guys that haven't had 130, 140, 150 targets, um, and you're spending top five, top eight costs on them at wide receiver, you're really subjecting yourself to a ton of variance in, in the worst possible way because that position isn't one that typically is going to carry you into a championship. And there's a lot of different ways to replicate it. And you're giving up opportunities to take shots on positions that will carry you to a championship. Well, I right? think that so, leads us to our guy here that we yeah. definitely got to talk about, right? Yeah. You're talking variants and we're talking right. targets and we're talking these things. My boy, Dynasty Zoltan put a tweet out there and we were talking about it in our group chat. You know, we have a smash except Patreon group chat and we're talking about Amon Ross St. Brown comes up a lot, right? Yeah. He doesn't have the draft capital. You know, he, he, he flashed at the end there. We're looking at there are 19 rookie wide receivers from 2000 from 1990 to 2019 who are in 10 plus targets in their in in five straight games. Of those guys, 10 of them had top 12 seasons. 17 had at least one top 24. The three of them had two plus thousand yard seasons. Three of them, you know, like what do we do with Amon Ross and Brown? Because you and I last year we talked about Darnell Mooney, right? And we said, well. It's just, it's an outlier from where his draft capital was and, and, and things of that nature. Talk to me about, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, the, the prospect, and then what we see going forward. Because right now we're talking about, you know, Mung and I were discussing it in the group chat and everything like that. Some of our guys believe that he's ascending because he had those games. Other people believe, you know, because Hawkinson and Swift were out, that's that's leads to that outlier. He's going about the same value as Keenan Allen right now in startups. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like uh, Keenan Allen's always my guy. So I love I'm Keenan Allen. Pray. He's uh, so I'm, cheap. He's the cheapest wide receiver one. Right. You just keep, and it's you know him, and it's like if you sort of get into the mold of like being in on like if you don't care what people think about your your wide receivers, which is kind of what I'm. The lesson that I've learned is that right, and it's it's hey, I, like give me productive ones. I don't really care what they look like because I want to do damage on my roster at other spots. Like give me dependable assets. Keenan Allen's great, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm never going to take Amon Ross St. Brown ahead of Keenan Allen, um, and I think that a lot of the wide receivers that go around Amon Ross St. Brown um, that are veterans, I'm going to like more than him just because uh, you know that's kind of what the AOD research would tell you, right? Is you take guys that have that have done it uh, for a couple of years versus guys that have done it for once, right? Uh, so just caveat that aside for a second. Um, I think Amon Ross St. Brown, if you just want to look at the young guys, I think he's undervalued versus that, right? I think it's, I'm probably not going to be in on Amon Ross St. Brown that much um, because I would value the older guys probably more than him that are sort of like the Keenan Allen versus him debate isn't a close one to me. Yeah, I was uh, looking at the guys. He's, he's been going around the same area as Michael Pittman, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, mm-hmm. Amari Cooper, mm-hmm. Mike Evans. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's literally, and Brandon Ayuk. So it's like right. him and Ayuk and then the eight, the veterans that have been just doing it year in and year out. Right. Right. And then you, you there's like guys like Bateman that's in there, like Judy. Is, like yeah, I'd yeah. comfortably have him ahead of either of those two guys. Right. And that's just, just interesting. It's like, 
Jordan from a couple years ago probably wouldn't have thought that way. Um, Jordan from a couple years ago would have said, hey, you know, you take the pedigree. Um, I, I look at what he did last year, and listen, I don't care who was on his team. Um, it, you can be playing – like, if I went out there with a bunch of nobodies – and, you know, they were like, hey, we're going to pump Jordan 10 targets a game. Like, I would suck, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, it's just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you're going to be good, right? And it's, I think it's really dismissive of him. And honestly, like, I'm not a huge – I wasn't a huge Amon Ross St. Brown guy, right? But I, I, I'm a sucker for guys that, um, that, that come from basically low probabilities and outperform expectations. I kind of – those guys i just think they're really interesting stories and he's one of those guys right doesn't mean i'm gonna roster him but i have a soft spot for him uh, as the story i mean you look at his yards per route run that's not a fluke you look at his targets per uh route run that's not a fluke right I mean, you look at those things are hard to do right this isn't you know this isn't a situation where they were just like all right go out and run 750 routes and we're just gonna th- we're just going to throw you the ball and, you know, you're grinding away to, you know, 0.9 yards per route run. That's not what happened, right? He was very good. He was very efficient, right? So I, again, I think he really performed well and how you think about him, if you're on the young receiver side, I mean, listen, the difference in, in yards per route run for young wide receivers, it is very telling. Right. And I, I wrote about this in the book. Um, I've got some charts and stuff and you can look like if you, if you run a couple hundred routes, right. And you're not good and you don't stick out as a young, uh, really stick out. It's not even being like, not like falling on your face, but if you don't really make a difference um, with them, um, your odds really drop down. It's, it's, you know, so you look at a guy, for example, like Kadarius Tony, it's the total flip side of, of a guy like Bateman who, on a very small sample size, right? I think he ran 197 routes. Was elite on those routes. Elite, massive performance on those routes. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions there, but you sort of look at those. Like that's a that is a profile that you could say, all right, like what's the type of one that could produce a an elite wide receiver one type season? Like it looks a lot more like Tony than it does like Bateman, right? And so I look at the profiles, and again, uh, uh, the Amon Ross St. Brown thing, like. In his rookie season, he was basically the only guy there for a good period of time. And as a day three guy became like a thing. And like, I think you have to respect that, right? Does that mean you have to treat him like a top 15 wide receiver? No. Um, but I mean, I if you're thinking about him against Ayuk, if you're thinking about him against Bateman, right, you're thinking about some of the other guys sort of in that range, Judy, I think he's done... I think, you know, he's probably been more impactful than Judy has been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those things are interesting conversations about, you know, what you're, why you think about why you would want to take the other guy over Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think that's I think, even different than 2021 Jordan McNamara when you were came on, you know, like that. And, and, and I think that's, what's important in dynasty is constantly evolving those things. Mung, I know you want to get in there on Amon Ross St. Brown. Cause that was kind of the, that was the chime. And we were going back and forth on that in the group chat and, you know, you want to expand on that and then talk a little bit about what Jordan said. Yeah, I think Jordan's mindset and mine are similar when it comes to players like him. Um, my comp that I made for Amon Ross St. Brown is I think he's a good player, um, lacks the elite athleticism to really become a true difference maker in fantasy. Uh, is there like a 1%, 2% chance that he could become like a Cooper Cup type producer, have a top five season with Jared Goff just hyper-targeting the slot, yeah, that's within his range of outcomes, but I'm also not going to bet on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people get too, again, I, same with Burrow. I, I think people get too enamored with the storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm rooting for these kind of guys, right? I want them to succeed, but I'm also not betting on them to become elite fantasy players. And I have him, you know, I, I think, let me check my rankings. I think I'm ranked, you know, in that same tier as Judy, I know I have him ahead of Bateman, but at the same time, I've got guys like Juju and Michael Thomas right above him, where I would rather have that production um, over a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. So I think we're, we're in similar territory on our thoughts here, where, again, I, I would take him in that early second round rookie range in, in this draft class. But again, you know, my thought is I would sell him for any first, because I think the return that I could get for a first-round rookie pick is more than that production is going to be worth. 
Yeah, and the thread that we ran on him was, I think, current values around a 110. You know, 110 to 112 <laughs> range was where most people were comfortable paying into that area. And I understand that being, you know, this is the opportunity we have to sell that guy if we believe that is something that was an outlier or something that was going on there. So, no, I, I get that completely as well. Yeah, I, I use something called density, which is looking at basically once you've hit sort of what what's your odds of hitting it again, sort of how deep your hit is essentially. Um, 53% would be based on his pedigree and, um, and you know, what he's done to date. About a 53% shot that he posts another top 24 season. So, um, uh, again, I, that's probably i'd probably take the under on that but that's actually a lot better than guys like judy which is interesting you know so um you just look at that profile just sort of getting to a difference maker um in his rookie season is i i think it's commendable and again i i what's different about our conversation last year for him and now is that he's done it right versus like you don't want to take the rookie because you're like hey he can do it Mm -hmm. like take you think about you change your you update based on what he has done and the interesting part about him is he hasn't gotten that much more expensive i think we had him at like wide receiver 61 in the offseason and now he's like you know he's cut in half but that's not that's not a region that's like massively massively more expensive Mm -hmm. so i think that's a i think it's an interesting thing about him is it's not necessarily that i would go back and say i would have drafted him but it's that saying now like now that we sort of know what he did, that you have to feel differently and you have to update that position. One other player I wanted to talk about in that same, because we haven't, I want to keep you at that hour mark, but there's a, another guy that's very, very polarizing with that. And it's, is Elijah Mitchell. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are saying based off of, you know, the production versus, you know, n- no draft capital, you know, he's just coming mm-hmm. in there. I mean, what do we, some people are saying, if you get a 23 first, are you selling for Elijah Mitchell? I mean, what are you, what have you seen for running backs that have a similar profile to what he has done? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like you come in right away and do it. Um, and I, I don't think, again, he was, this is interesting because you have someone drafted ahead of him in, in that class on his team <laughs> and, and he basically leapfrogs, which isn't, super common to have happen um you know so it's that's i i don't think he's necessarily uh put trey sermon totally away do i trust kyle shanahan at all on anything that comes out of his mouth or any player usage i don't right except maybe george kittle um i don't trust him because he does erratic things um and in ways that i don't think we can predict so i think that's a a, um what a, a structural concern that I have about any San Francisco player, Um, you know, and so uh, the question then I would ask myself is like, what is my goal, right? Is my goal to have a huge difference? Well, like Elijah Mitchell's probably not going to catch that many passes. Like they just don't, they're consistently one of the bottom three or four teams in terms of having running backs involved in their passing game. It's just, they're just not that involved Mm -hmm. on a per, on a per drop back basis. So, uh, that's the the caution that I would have. Again, he he does it from a early season perspective. You know, from a from early in his career, he does it right off the bat. Like that's a good sign. Um, I think it's probably more of a caps upside situation. And if you like look, you know, I I haven't checked recently um, in terms of how exactly close they are, but I I know that Jacobs and and um, him were in the same kind of ballpark in terms mm-hmm. of valuation. I mean, I, that I would definitely take the Jacob side of that just because like, I think he can do both where I don't think that Elijah Mitchell probably has that. Yeah. They're going right next to each other. Um, I, I don't think that Elijah Mitchell has that probably as much in his range of outcomes as a guy like Jacobs does. I like that. You know, I, I love having you on Jordan because it's like, you know, most of the time we're talking trades, we're talking this and you just, <laughs> you know, the analytics side of it just blows my mind sometimes because what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but on the surface level, when you're talking Fields versus Stafford, and you're talking about some of these things, it's definitely making me think about it. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're the same way, Monk, but I'm like, hold on a second. You know, like mm-hmm. I think in Dynasty, we got to constantly involve, we got to think about these things. And why don't you tell us everybody like where they can find the book, where they can find all of your work again? Because and then when we when we put this out there, you know, we definitely want to put a link to yours as well because sure. it, it helps people. I mean. We're out here to help people with dynasties trades. You're out here to help them completely with their philosophy moving forward as well. Yeah, I mean, just I think if you can make 
you know, just, just eliminating some of your bad decisions, right? Again, I, I use the example all the time of like, don't hit the ball in the woods when you're golfing. Like just if you can avoid doing that, like, again, I'm not a good golfer, but if I can avoid doing that, I stand a better shot of lowering my score, right? I think a lot of dynasties like that. Um, and then understanding when you take elite shots, right? That's the, that's the combination. Um, so you can find it all at analytics dynasty.com. You know, I've got dynasty daily, I've got daily podcasts going on. We did 388 podcasts last year, so you can get one every day. Um, it was fun counting to that number. <laughs> and then, uh, um, so yeah, we, you know, you get podcasts every day with us and then, uh, you know, but if you can get the book, um, in and of itself, you know, we've got our trade database as well for our, for our subscribers. Um, but the book you can find at analytics.com, use the promo code smash and you can get 10% off the book. So nice extra 10% off just by putting in smash. Love it. Thanks again, Jordan and Mung. Why don't you tell everybody exactly what you're going on? I know you're always Churning out new things, stuff. for sure. Yeah, I, I love the I love the big picture talk with Jordan. Uh, with the you know, I'm generalizing, but the trade trade away the shiny toys, right? Um, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes th- those those trades that you feel the worst about, where you're like, I don't want to trade away Murray or Joe Burrow, but you know, those are those can sometimes be the ones where you gain the most value. But uh, if, if we if we're talking a little bit more granular, uh, I just came out with an article over at Fantrax about specific running backs that I'm trying to buy before free agency starts. Um, I've got all my updated top 200 dynasty rankings over there, one quarterback and super flex. And uh, of course you guys can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M E N G. Love it. Thanks again for tuning in guys and enjoy the process.